Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Today we're going we're gonna to speak on a topic which maybe goes well with um, technology failing on us, but uh, a topic called simplicity. And um, who knows that sometimes we're just uh, in a complex world, we need to find a greater sense of simplicity. Uh, it's not saying that we live, you know, completely, you know, oblivious to what the rest of the world is doing because we live in a complex world. That's, that's the reality. That's the type of world that we live in. But Jesus has called us to live a different way. And uh, originally we had planned to uh, start our new series, Legacy, but we're going to do that next week because um, I, I just felt like God uh, put on my heart again to, to speak about this topic. We did a couple of weeks ago because it's our theme for our life groups over these two months, over May and June, that we would uh, live at a different pace, live with a different rhythm, a different pattern to the rest of the world, not to be weird or to be strange, but, but to say that Jesus has called us to something different. And so I spoke on simplicity uh, two weeks ago. Uh, then last week, Rachel preached an amazing message uh, for Mother's Day about taking weights off our lives, placing them at the cross of Christ. I encourage you to check out the podcast if you missed that one. But, but this week, this topic of simplicity, I, I want to recap everything we spoke about two weeks ago. But we did use this scripture, um, which you can find in your Bible as you open it, or smartphone as you open it, as your thumb hovers over Facebook and Instagram. Don't let it go there. Go to the Bible app right there. And uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 and 30. Um, it's normally on the screen behind me, as Chris mentioned a couple of times. That's the last time I'm going to say it. But, um, but here we go. You'll just have to believe me. It says this, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know if you're a little bit hungry this morning, you're thinking about yolks, and you're like, oh yeah, a soft boiled egg right now would be, would, it would be amazing. But let me explain to you what Jesus is referencing right now. As he spoke this, um, he was referencing how farming was performed uh, during that time in history. And so what was known as a yoke was placed over an animal so it would pull a plow all alike. And what happened was that whenever the farmer had a new animal, that had never had a yoke on it before, had never pulled a plow previously, what they would do is they would get this new animal right next to an experienced one, put the yoke on this beast, and then let it learn from the more experienced animal next to it about how you pull the plow, about you know, how you do the work, how, how you get things done. And so when Jesus talks about taking on a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light, it's got this inflection that is not necessarily about, you know, sitting around and just, um, you know, praying all day and, you know, dropping out of society and maybe joining a commune and going, you know, a little bit inland from Margs and just, you know, just, just chillaxing out there, escaping the world. But in fact, there's this sort of inference that there's work to be done. So the yoke was actually something of work. However, the way of Jesus 
the way of doing life is different to the way of the world. Jesus is saying that you can work and live and raise a family and build a career with a lightness and an ease that's not found unless we come alongside of Jesus Christ, learn His ways, learn His patterns, and be in a lifetime apprenticeship. It's not a you know, four-year, one-week and get written off you know, half a year early if you do all your TAFE course really well. No, it's a lifelong apprenticeship of following Jesus Christ. And so a couple of weeks ago when I spoke about this, about simplicity, we talked about that simplicity starts within us, a simplicity of heart. However, it doesn't stay there. It has to move out and impact our everyday lives. And so uh, last time I had the, if you remember, I had the uh, slightly awkward suitcase on stage and we talked about this just one aspect of simplicity of schedule that uh, for most of us, the key to simplicity is to remove some things out of the suitcase, not just stuff a whole bunch more in and, you know, squash it in the corner and jump on it at the end and pray, dear Lord, let it not go over whatever the airline's, you know, um, kilo rating is because they hit you for a bomb at the airport, you know, like just, no, no, that's not the key to simplicity. It's a removal of things so that we can focus on what God has called us to do. And so, so we've talked about that with a simplicity of, of schedule, not trying to just jam everything in to our lives. But today I wanna speak about a different aspect of simplicity. And we're gonna do that from uh, a portion of scripture that's found in uh, Mark chapter four. Uh, this is Jesus speaking in a, in a parable or an illustration, a, a metaphor here. And I'm gonna read from verse three uh, through to 10 first. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun since it did not have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Sorry, verse 9. Then he said, anyone with ears uh, to hear should listen and understand. Uh, I love this verse here. Later, when Jesus uh, was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. Uh, I, I don't know about, for me as a preacher, that last verse is very encouraging because the disciples were like, you know, great message, Jesus. You know, you really hit it out of the park. I even took a picture of you and put it on Instagram in my story with a little quote and I added you so you can put add to your story later. Maybe Jesus wouldn't do that. But anyway, you know, he's like, we, we, we love what you've said. This is, this is amazing. But can you just tell us what you meant? <laughs> like we heard your message, but we actually have no idea uh, what, you were, what you were talking about. So personally, I find that a little bit encouraging. But anyway, Jesus goes on and in the next part of Mark 4, he explains the parable to the disciples. This is verse 14. It says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. 
The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for explaining your, 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 your message for us. In terms of simplicity, uh, I, I want to put our emphasis on just two verses there. So it's verse 18 and 19. I'll read it for you again super quick. This part, the seed that fell among the thorns, that's what we're going to talk about, represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. I I love that's the NLT, the New Living Translation. I love that phrase where it says the message is crowded out. I I think sometimes we can all relate to this crowded out feeling in our lives, feeling like we're running around chasing our tails, competing priorities are screaming at us. Oh, no, I forgot this. Oh, I can't make this deadline. Oh, I really should be doing this. Uh, Can can, can I just take take a break? But what about when it comes to crowding out uh, in a physical space? Have you ever felt crowded out before? I, I know big crowds aren't really a thing currently at the moment, but can you sort of cast your mind back and remember, what's the, what's the most crowded place you've ever been? Is, has it, was, it a, was it a concert? Was it lining up for something? Was it a, um, was it an, a, a big event that you, that, that you attended? Were you um, overseas somewhere and, you know, on a, I don't know, like a Japanese train where you just like sandwiched in together? Like where, where have you been that's the most crowded out? Um, Maybe you avoid crowds altogether and so you're like, I've never been crowded out. In fact, this is the most crowded I'm feeling because someone's sitting right next to me right now. But, but I don't know for you. For me, I um, had the uh, great privilege uh, in the year 2000, I got to go to the Sydney Olympics because um, we lived uh, over east at that time. And so with my family, we, went, we got tickets to see, um, to see the baseball. I know, not very um, Olympic type sport, but look. We liked baseball, me and my brothers. The tickets were easier to get than to the 100-meter final, and so we're like, we're at the Olympics, this is awesome. And so we saw Australia versus Japan, and we got beaten, of course, because we're not very good at baseball. Um, but, but for me, I remember there was this point where we came out uh, of the stadium, and sort of the main road that runs through Homebush Bay and the Olympic precinct there has uh, the big stadium, which at that time had not been sold to a corporate sponsor, so it was called Stadium Australia. Uh, and then just up from that, there was another stadium, so that I think that seated 100,000. Then the next stadium that was up was called the Superdome, because also that had not been sold to a corporate sponsor by then. Um, and so I think that seated like 25,000, there was the Aquatic Center. And there was this moment where they all seemed to to empty at the same time. And I remember as a kid sort of uh, standing back and seeing this sea of people. And at that time, I didn't live in Sydney. We were in a, like a small regional town would be the nicest way to describe it. But I just remember seeing this sea of crowd of people like, oh my goodness, like there's this many people on the planet and they're all here? Like what's, what's, what, what's going on? But I, I don't know what it's like for you or what your memory is, but Jesus gives us this picture 
that there's these things that can come around our lives and they can crowd out or choke out the message of Jesus. Jesus says to those listening to his message and then explains it to his disciples that we can hear the gospel, that is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. We can hear the message, but all too quickly, the space can be crowded out, not by great things, not by love, not by God's grace, but by thorns or by weeds. In verse seven, when Jesus originally gave the picture to everyone who was listening, he said the thorns are choked out uh, sorry, the thorns choke out the tender plants so they couldn't, uh, they couldn't produce grain. And so these thorns or weeds, if you want to call them, Jesus identifies them as three things. He says the worries of this life, the lure of riches, and the desire for other things. Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, they're not phrases that I use most days. I don't normally say, oh man, like I'm really trying to follow Jesus at the moment, but just this, this lure of riches is just getting, getting me every time. You know, I need, to, I, need to, I need to get something happening or, you know, I'm really trying to put these rhythms of simplicity in my life that we've been talking about, but I just find a desire for other things coming in front of God all the time. I don't normally use that language, but that's because these are core areas that Jesus is talking about and they're like the underlying driver of the decisions that we make. It's the underlying driver of, oh, this phone's six months old. I think it's time for a new one. Or, uh, you know, this came out last month. Oh, I think I deserve it. Or, you know, you see a friend or a work colleague just bought a new car, just updated their home, just updated their outfit, just bought a new boat, you know, found a great series on another streaming platform. Oh, I think I better sign up for my seventh one now just to make sure that I'm not missing out. And so we have these things that come at us but under the surface, what's underlying is what Jesus says, which is those three areas, that worries of this life, the lure of riches, and the desire for other things. You see, they come cloaked in new, updated, must-have, everyone's watching, have you been out to the cool new restaurant, cafe, whatever, this, this stuff that comes at us each and every day. And so what, what I want to do for the uh, rest of our time left together is I want to look at these three areas that Jesus identifies as thorns, as weeds, and ask the question, how can we, through God's empowering grace, remove these thorns from our life so that we produce the type of fruit, the type of life that Jesus has called us to. And specifically, how does this practice or rhythm or this thought of simplicity help us to set patterns and rhythms to uproot these things? Because we don't just wanna do like a little shallow knock off the top. Oh, you know, like great, great message, thanks. Okay, move on, let's, um, let's, talk, let's talk about something else. We, we wanna get down deep. Um, I remember when we, when we first moved to Mandra a couple of years ago, we, we rented a house and we had to we had to keep pushing the real estate agent to get in as quickly as we could because we had flights booked, we had a, we had a container turning up and for some reason they were, they were being slow and wanted to do this before we moved in and that before we moved in. We're like, look, we don't care. We just need somewhere to live when we've moved across the other side of the, other, other side of the country. And so uh, one of the things they were like, oh, we haven't had time to you know, get the contractors out you know, to, do the gar to do the gardens. We're like, we, we don't care, just 
send some people, like in a couple of days' time, it's fine, just, just give us the keys and let us move in. And you know, the house had no real grass, only slight, uh, slight bit of artificial turf, which we discovered is a thing over here, and, um, and, and little gardens and lots and lots of paving. And so anyway, they were happy and we got in, thank goodness. And I remember these, um, the contractors coming around a couple of days later, and, and like I said, that house had uh, lots of paving and it had all these weeds growing up through the cracks. And so it was great. I'm like, oh, awesome. The contractors are coming and they'll, you know, sort out all these weeds. I don't have to sort them out. This is amazing. But all they did, God bless them, uh, was take a whippersnipper and just chunk, chunk, top, 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 very quickly. All right, we're done. See you. Great. Because we all know what's happening in a few, in a few weeks' time. But I, I, I want to challenge you this morning. We don't want this morning to just be a little whippersnipper that cuts the top off a few lure of riches or a bit of worry or just cuts the top off, you know, some, yeah, you know, some desires for other things. I, I really want to challenge you and encourage you to wrestle with this, to wrestle with it in community as part of a life group as we keep discussing this over the next couple of months. Let's get down deep in the cracks and work at pulling up some of these thorns, some of these weeds that crowd out and choke what God wants to do in our lives. And so the first one that we talked about, uh, number one that we're going to look at is the worries of this life. The worries of this life. Come on, let's, let's just be real for a moment. Surely worry, not all worry is bad. You know, like imagine if no one worried about anything. You know, oh, we'll just leave the keys in the car, you know, unlocked out the front. Yeah, kids, sure, you can go play down uh, by the freeway with no adult supervision. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no problems at all. You know, let's eat Krispy Kremes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, that can never have any negative effect on my health or anything like that. So obviously, we're not living in just to do whatever we want completely worry-free. There's, there's a thing called wisdom which is different to worry. But for many of us, we worry far too much and about the wrong things. And, and it's hard because we live in such a climate of worry and fear. And, and, and I'm gonna go on a little tangent, but it has, it has a point. But I apologize if you're a journalist here, but my goodness, the amount of fear that is thrown at us by the media is just startling. You know, there used to be the, um, the saying in advertising and news that sex sells. Well, I think recent years that has changed to fear sells. You just, you just look across consistently across every form of news platform, and, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. You see an article's headline that doesn't even match with the rest of the story. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? So the headline is something like, you know, fear new gas pipelines in residential complex are set to explode. You're like, oh no, wow, where is this? Quick. And then you read the article and discover that one, it never happened. Two, there's been procedures in place to check every single gas pipe and, the new, and new works have been done and everyone's confident that the situation's all under control. Who's seen articles like that? Like time after time after time. We have this worry and fear that's like beamed at us 24-7, and then we wonder why this paradigm of fear is carried over to our career. Oh, I wonder if the boss is happy with me. Oh, I've heard there's cutbacks soon. Oh, what am I gonna do? Oh, I better 
stay more, I better work harder, I better not take a day off because, you know, something, some, something might happen here. Or, or we take this paradigm of worry and fear over uh, into our parenting. And so we wrap our kids in cotton wool and we helicopter parent and we provide as many activities and as many opportunities as possible because I've got to be the best parent, I've got to be the great. They've got to, okay, have you tried this? Have you done this, uh, son? Have you done this, daughter? Because I'm just worried. I don't want to mess you up. I know I'm going to mess you up a little bit because all parents do, let's, let's, let's be honest. I know I'm going to send you to counseling a little bit, but I'm just trying to minimize that as much as possible. And so we take this worry, we take this uh, climate of fear that's around us across into many areas of our lives. What about our relationships? Oh, my friend didn't text me back straight away. They've seen the message, it's on scene, but they haven't replied. And I'm checking every 35 seconds, why have they not replied yet? Oh, now I see them spending time with this person. Does that mean they're, they're not gonna have time for me? They're not gonna be my friend anymore? And I know that sounds funny. We're like, oh, that would never happen. But let's be honest. Let's just be real for a second. We all wrestle with these type of things. So what does a pattern and rhythm of simplicity do to pull out the weed, to pull out the thorns of the worries of this life. Well, really simply and practically, I wanna encourage you. W would you consistently unplug from the fear-based media machine that we live in? Some of us, we just need to lead, read less news. We need to be on Facebook less. We need to watch less TV. We need to spend less time on YouTube being sucked into con conspiracy theories. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. It's not helpful for you. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be informed, but I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is the content I'm consuming, is that bringing me closer to God? Is it helping to pull out uh, a thorn and a weed of, of um, not of simplicity, <laughs> a thorn and a weed of fear and of doubt and of worry? Or is it causing me to move more into relationship with Jesus? Does that mean we shouldn't, um, we should never read any negative news? No, of course not. But what it means is we read from a filter of God's good news of God's gospel, it means we, we read about something tragic that happens, but instead of going and diving into fear and worry and thinking about what it will do for us, let it move us to break our hearts to pray for people. Let it move us to, when, when we see the devastation of COVID in India, let us not move to fear and to worry, but let us move to prayer and say, God, would you pour out your spirit on that country? Would you move? Would you move in government? Would you do whatever you can do? Would you pour out, God, to make a difference in that situation? Simplicity of the content we consume, it focuses on having the voices of encouragement, faith, love, and hope speak more often into our hearts and into our soul than the worries of this life. And so I'd like to encourage all of us when it comes to this life of simplicity, will we just unplug probably a whole bunch more than we do already and say, you know what, I, I know this climate of fear, I know this climate of worry is out here, but I'm gonna do my best to insulate myself, not because I'm gonna live in some you know, utopian land where everything's great and amazing, but because I know that I trust God above all and bad things happen and challenges come and anxiety comes against us and worries come against us, but I'm not gonna let those voices speak higher than what your word speaks to me 
to what your presence speaks to me and what your ways speak to my life. So, so number one is the worries of this world. That's how we address them through simplicity. Number two, the second thing that Jesus spoke about was the lure of wealth. Jesus spoke about this lure of wealth uh, being a thorn or a weed that chokes or crowds out the message of Jesus. And as I mentioned before, these aren't you know, phrases that we necessarily like use every day, but the lure of wealth is real. What is even more challenging is that for most of us, it goes unrecognized. I don't remember, um, and so it hasn't just been here, but been in ministry for 10 plus years. I never remember, I, I don't remember, sorry, someone coming down the front when we do a prayer line and saying, can you please pray for me? I'm struggling with the lure of wealth or something like that. Or I know I'm greedy, but can you just help? Or I know I'm just sucked into this world and I'm sucked into consumerism and competing and can you just, can you lay hands and pray, pray for me? Never happened. I, I, I've had many uh, pastoral one-on-one catch-ups with people about challenges in their marriage, about challenges at work, in their, in their friendships, in their uh, walk with Christ, in their destiny, and what, what has God called me to, and, and what should I do in this situation? And I just wanted to talk to someone. Do you know what? I've never had someone come to me and say, can I really meet with you? Because I'm really struggling with greed and consumerism and just trying to keep up with the, with the Joneses, and, and, and I need help. But for all of us, and I'm speaking to myself as well, we all wrestle with this. So often, yet so often it goes unrecognized. And, and I would say in our context, probably better language is not necessarily the lure of wealth, but it's the lure of lifestyle. The lure of being able to show the world whatever our preferred image is. But remember that simplicity starts in the interior of our lives, that we would seek first the kingdom of God but it can't stay there. It has to move outwardly and it has to impact our lifestyle. See, I love that it's the lure of wealth or the lure of, of lifestyle because it reminds me a little bit of a fishing lure because um, you're like, well, what is a fishing lure? Well, it's something that looks like the real thing, but it's not. It's chased it's swam after, it's shiny, it's dangly, it goes through the water, you know, pretending to be something that it's not. And then finally, when it's bitten into, it contains a nasty surprise for the fish and a great surprise for us. Yum. It, you see, the lure looks like the real thing. It's the same with the lure of wealth. It's the same with the lure of lifestyle. But it doesn't contain the happiness doesn't contain the peace, it doesn't contain the fulfillment, it doesn't contain the healing, it doesn't contain the identity that we thought. There's a hook in it, and we realize that what we've been chasing after is just a lure, and it's not the real thing. But do you know what simplicity does? Simplicity draws a line in the sand, and it says, enough is enough. It says, I don't need more upgraded, better brand version of whatever our thing is, of X, to find my sense of worth. And so when it comes to digging up the weed or the thorn of this lure of wealth or lure of lifestyle, I've gotta gotta ask you, where where is the line in the sand for you? Where's the line? And it's it's a challenge, I'm challenging myself as well. As we start to come to a close, maybe Mel, you can come and and join me up here. But, But where is that line? 
Where is that line? What could I not upgrade, not purchase, not add in my life? And then maybe I could use those resources, that time, that money, whatever it is, and put it towards something of eternal value. Where's the line in the sand where I say, you know what, I'm gonna say no to this. I'm gonna say no to this lifestyle upgrade. I'm gonna say no to the lure of wealth, of chasing something that actually doesn't produce the fulfillment and happiness and peace that I think. I think it was Rockefeller that was asked, um, very wealthy um, oil, I think maybe. Anyway, they asked him, um, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. As we chase after these things, which we, we don't normally say is, you know, like cash stacked up in our, um, you know, undies drawer or something like that, but this lure of lifestyle that I need this to be happy. If I, if I just get to this, if I can just upgrade this, if I can just live here, if I can just have this happen for my life, then, then I'll be happy. But if we don't put a line in the sand, what happens is it just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. Simplicity is choosing to leverage time, money, talents and possessions towards what matters most. It's intentionally living with less to make space for more of what's valued the most before God. The third area that Jesus gave us was, was pretty general, but it just says the desire for other things. What are those other things that we place before God? Because remember, we, we simplify around seeking first God's kingdom, and that is to hear His voice, to follow where He's leading us. And so this morning, where might God be leading you? Is He putting some his finger on some things in your life, on some weeds, on some thorns, those three sort of areas that we talked about that are sitting above God, that are, that are putting themselves in front of Jesus. You know, I remember listening to a um, podcast many years ago where a successful business operator was asked about how she had turned around this complex business and you know, simplified it to bring more profitability and all those, all those sort of things. And, and she said this, she said that she'd gone into the organization, she'd worked out what projects and departments were the core, and then she had defunded the rest. And that's how they brought, sounds brutal, I know, but that's how they brought focus and simplicity. No money for that, it's not important. No time for that, it's not important. And I wonder in our lives, maybe there's some things that we need to defund. Maybe there's some areas that have placed themselves above God and it could be, uh, I think the way we normally fund them in our personal lives is we either pay for them or we give them time. So, so what's God putting His finger on in our lives to defund? Is it just random time? surfing the internet with not much purpose? Is it defunding, you know, countless, you know, news articles that you're reading about what could go wrong? Is it, is it, is it defunding something else? Where's God putting His finger and His hand on your life? What do you need to defund? And so this morning, 
as we close and the rest of the worship team join me, I'd love to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we thank you right now for this incredible time that we've spent together. Holy Spirit, we just take a moment right now. We just take a moment. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Holy Spirit, would you bring to the forefront of our mind maybe some of those things that we need to defund? Would you bring to the forefront of our minds maybe those places where we need to put a bit of a lie in the sand and say, I, I don't need more of this, I don't need more of that. God, I'm focused on you, on your purpose, on your plan for my life. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every heart this morning? We thank you, Jesus. And maybe you're in this place and the first, the first step, remember I said we simplify around following Jesus Christ, following His ways and His patterns. And if you were to describe your life, currently it's, it's not following Jesus. And that's, that's okay because God's brought you to this place, I believe this morning, to make a decision to say, you know what, from this day forward, I want to follow Jesus. I, I know I'm not gonna get everything right and he doesn't expect that, but I'm gonna make a decision that sets me on a course of following Jesus. Remember we talked about the two, the two beasts pulling the thing that I'm gonna take on his yoke because his yoke is easy and his burden is light as I live my life the way that he has ordained for us. So in a moment, we're gonna pray and we're, I'm gonna say a prayer, we're gonna repeat it we're going to repeat it back. And if you'd like to just have it as a point of decision to say yes to Jesus Christ as we pray that, would you just lift your hand?